Chapter 5 of The Red Cross Girls with the Stars and Stripes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Red Cross Girls with the Stars and Stripes by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 5 Introductions But when the drill was over, the American girls did not come down from their place of observation. There was still so much of absorbing interest. The soldiers, having completed this work, had still more important training to be gone through with during the morning. The girls were able to watch a number of them learning to throw hand grenades, small bombs not much larger than oranges. The practice bombs were not explosive. Nevertheless, Barbara and Nona and Molly Drew found themselves intensely interested. They had almost the sensations of enthusiastic baseball fans, for the American boys showed such skill with the grenades that their boyhood playing of the national game must have been of value. Other soldiers were working at trench digging, and further along, on the artillery practice range, big guns were being moved, trained on their target, and made ready for firing with an amazing swiftness. Beyond was also an aviation camp, scarcely discernible because of the distance. Here, other American boys were completing their final lessons in air fighting, preparing themselves to rival the gallant Lafayette Corps of American airmen in the service of France, who had become world-famous for their amazing feats of valor and skill. But most extraordinary of all the spectacles to the Red Cross nurses was the encampment of tanks. These giant monsters were rolling about on their special parade ground, looking like prehistoric monsters. The soldiers were like midgets beside them. They lumbered along like huge turtles, carrying houses on their backs and climbing great objects set in their paths as if they did not exist. However, there are scenes to which one is now and then a witness which may be too overwhelming. Actually, one sees and feels so much that the eyes and mind and even the emotions become exhausted. Molly Drew was the first of the six girls to feel she could endure no more. She had seen tremendous things and, moreover, had gone through with such a conflict of sensations, joy that the American soldiers were now to play a great part in the world struggle and sorrow over the inevitable tragedies which must befall them, and a strong urge that they learn these final lessons in making war as soon as possible, that they might get into the fight and have it all over with, perhaps, before another year. So that by and by, Molly began to feel not only tired, but almost exhausted. Yet she did not wish to interrupt the others, nor to ask any one of them to return to the hospital with her. She could overhear Eugenia talking to Agatha Burton, and had seldom seen Agatha so animated or in earnest. No, I cannot tell you how many American troops have arrived in France. No one outside the government is informed. But in any case, it would be impossible, as new contingents of soldiers are reaching France almost every day. Molly caught the sense of this speech, but realized that each word was becoming more and more indistinct. She had a stupid habit of occasionally growing faint, but not for a great deal would she have Madame Castagne discover her weakness so soon after her journeying to France with the Red Cross nursing. If only she could get down the narrow staircase and away from the others before she was observed. Molly could not, of course, realize how completely her unusual bright color had faded. She took a few steps and at the top of the stairs caught hold of the narrow railing. But fortunately for Molly, although she was not aware of it, Barbara Thornton had been watching her for the past few moments. She had noticed Molly becoming steadily paler until the little freckles, which were ordinarily inconspicuous, showed plain, had seen the peculiar strained look in Molly's deep gray eyes. Also, she understood that Molly would not wish to create a scene, and above all wished to avoid Eugenia's attention. So when Molly moved away, Barbara moved quietly after her, placing her arm firmly about the other girl's waist. "'Miss Drew and I are tired and are going down. We will wait for you. Don't hurry,' she called back. As a matter of fact, as soon as she reached the landing, Molly did feel almost herself again. She wished to go outdoors at once, but Barbara insisted that they find a place to sit down and rest. The stairs from the tower ended in a tiny hall, and opposite was a room with the door open. Barbara was under the impression that this room was the usual sacred drawing room of some French family.' 
But as soon as they crossed the threshold, she appreciated that, whatever the room had been, it was now being used by American soldiers. There was a variety of boots and army leggings in one corner, a khaki coat swung over a chair, and a disordered table covered with American books and papers. Dust and mud were on the floor. I don't think we ought to intrude in there, Molly objected, hesitating and speaking a little nervously. But Barbara, who was very difficult to awe, walked calmly in, seated herself on one of the empty chairs. Certainly we must stay here until you are rested and feeling a little stronger. You can scarcely stand up, and I don't wonder, after being on your feet for hours the first day after our trip, I am awfully tired myself. No one is coming back to this room for the present. The soldiers and officers are too busy. If anyone does appear, we must simply explain. I am curious, anyhow, to know how Eugenia managed to bring us here without introducing us to anyone. Perhaps the French people in this neighborhood are becoming accustomed to Americans taking possession of their homes. Barbara talked quietly and without any suggestion of possible embarrassment, really because she had no idea that anyone would discover them before Eugenia came down. She was, therefore, more surprised and embarrassed than Molly at an unexpected noise just outside the open door. However, both girls jumped to their feet looking conscience-stricken. The young soldier at the door uttered a low whistle, took off his wide-brimmed hat, and then made a low bow. Do you know, he began, I was as mad, well, we will say mad as a March Hare, although that was not my original speech over being sent here to clean up my superior officer's quarters. I came over to France, you know, to fight Germans, not to act as a housemaid. But of course, if I had any idea that Lieutenant Martin was giving a reception, why before his guests arrived? The young private was over six feet tall, had fine white teeth and broad shoulders, and at this moment his eyes were so full of surprise and amusement that no one would have thought of their color. "'But we are not guests, and we are going right away,' Barbara stammered. "'For goodness sake, don't let anyone else find us here!' Barbara was older and married, and, of course, should have been the more self-possessed of the two intruders. But somehow Molly experienced an immediate understanding and sympathetic appreciation of the situation existing between her and the newcomer. We have been watching the morning drill and afterwards came in here to rest, not dreaming anyone would discover us at such a time. Did you say it was a part of your duty to help keep your officer's quarters in order? If it is, do you know? I don't think you would have been very successful. And Molly's color returned, and her lips parted in a rather pretty Irish fashion of suddenly turning up at the corners to express amusement, as she looked around the disordered apartment. The young man nodded. I don't suppose I could hold my job for a week in your house, would I? Unless you happen to take a fancy to me and wish to show me how house cleaning is accomplished. You see, before I undertook to be a soldier, why well, I am afraid I belonged to the idle rich. I did not even know this business of keeping one's own possessions in order was a part of every regular private's job. I have had some training in the last months, but I can still shoot straighter and ride better than I can do other things. And the young fellow looked in such utter disgust and consternation at the task ahead of him that Molly laughed a second time. There is to be an inspection of quarters this afternoon, and as the lieutenant is busy, I have been detailed to have this room shipshape. Molly glanced toward Barbara. Suppose we help, she suggested, at least until Madame Castagne and the others come down. No one will ever know. You see, Monsieur Sammy, that is what the French people are calling you, isn't it? If you were a Red Cross nurse, as Mrs. Thornton and I both are, you would know everything worth knowing of domestic tasks. Then, without waiting for Barbara's agreement, Molly began straightening the dusty, disordered table in a quiet, skillful fashion. The next instant, Barbara had joined her at another task, and soon the three of them were hard at work at the young soldier obeying orders. When Eugenia and Mildred, Nona and Agatha finally looked into the room to see if Barbara and Molly could possibly be found in there, they were for an instant overcome with amazement. Eugenia was far from pleased. However, the scene was too absurd to take seriously or to speak reprovingly about. This time Molly became embarrassed and passed being able to explain the situation. Moreover, she was conscious that the soldier, whose name she did not even know and therefore was unable to introduce to Madame Castagne, was now laughing at her, although he kept every part of his face grave except his eyes. However, Barbara spoke at once. 
Hope we have not done anything very wrong, Eugenia, but you see, after all, our Red Cross rules are that we succor anyone in distress. We do not know whom we have helped in this time, but he was undoubtedly in distress. At this, Barbara turned to the young man, who came forward to speak to Madame Castagne. He had recognized her as having charge of one of the nearby American hospitals. He gave his name, Guy Ellis, to Eugenia, but of course the others heard him. I don't know exactly what I am to say to any of you, Eugenia protested in answer to Barbara and shaking hands with their new acquaintance, because I had never dreamed of any such situation. However, I am glad I discovered you instead of an officer. But please come with me and meet Madame Bonnet. She has given up this house of hers to our soldiers, but she and her daughter Bertha are living in a tiny place in the garden. She is a great friend of mine, and managed to get us permission to use her tower upstairs this morning for watching the drill. She told me no one would be here, so we would not be a nuisance. Eugenia turned to Nona. Madame Bonnet is raising carrier pigeons for the use of the French army. The ones she has now are to be at her American messengers when we need them. Eugenia made no suggestion that the young soldier accompany them, but he walked on quietly beside Montley and Barbara. After all, Madame Bonnet was his friend as well. End of chapter 5